Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Meet the Producer, the podcast that puts the art, craft and business of producing in the spotlight as I talk to film and TV producers about their work and careers to learn how they approach the many facets of their job so that you and I can better go about ours. This is the second season of Meet the Producer, again brought to you with the support of the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored this time by Production Service Network, PSN. Production Service Network facilitate physical production and access to incentives worldwide. The network taps producers into local production knowledge and expertise spanning more than 100 countries to determine where to best achieve the creative vision of film and HETV projects on budget. Visit productionservicenetwork.com. This second season of Meet the Producer puts the focus on awards season, as many of my guests will be in the race for nominations, for Guild Awards and sometimes for the most prestigious prizes the industry has to offer. So we'll be finding out what effect that can have and how to react when and if it happens. In the first season of Meet the Producer, I was a new producer myself. But since then, and partly due to the advice I received making that series, My projects have advanced considerably, and my knowledge and confidence in the role is growing. Awards may be some way off now for the moment, but after a career covering them as a critic and presenter on the red carpets and in news studios, they're the destination I'm aiming for as a filmmaker from the start. Why not? So let's get going and meet the producer. Joining me on this show are producers Joanna Laurie and Ian Canning of Seesaw Films to discuss their work on director and playwright Florian Zeller's family drama The Son, the follow-up to his award-winning The Father, for which Anthony Hopkins so memorably won the Oscar. While Hopkins also features briefly in The Son, it stars Hugh Jackman as a lawyer dad going through the nightmare of his child's mental health issues, the teenage son being played by Zen McGrath. Take back what you just said, Nicholas. Do you hear me? You take back what you just said now. Tall me, and told me, haven't I always done everything for you? I stayed with your mother for years for your sake. So why are you saying this? Why? Why? Tell me why? Is it because I fell in love with another woman? Is that my crime? How is that any of your business? I have the right to reinvent my life. Fuck! It's my life. You hear me? It is my life. I'm sorry, Nicholas. I don't know. I don't know what just happened. Ian Canning is one of the founders of Seesaw, now a production powerhouse based here and in Australia, whose success soared with the King's Speech, for which Ian won the Oscar for Best Film in 2011, but which includes varied works such as Steve McQueen films, Hunger, Shame and Widows, uh, recent awards favourite Jane Campion's Power of the Dog, and hit TV shows including Slow Horses, Heartstopper and The North Water. Joe has worked on Colette with Kira Knightley, Their Finest with Gemma Arterton and Carol, of course, with Kate Blanchett, to name a few. And so, as I visited Seesaw's London offices by Spitalfields, I began by asking Joe how she started working on The Son, which, like the father, was adapted from a hugely affecting stage play. Florian felt compelled to tell this story because I think he had spent so long 
with it on stage and people kept coming back you know after the show to say what a profound effect yeah. it had had on on them um and so he set about writing the script and talked to us about it and we said please share it with us when it's ready and he did and one thing led to another and you know when Ian and I I think we probably read it it felt like we read it in the office at the same time when we opened our doors and kind of did a gleeful clap this is the sun this is the sun when he sent us the script it was just such a powerful piece of work and we kind of knew we really wanted to work with with this with this filmmaker on this movie and what do you do when because I don't know if he's, you're the only person, people he sent the script to. Do you have to then sort of come up with a, a plan in which to sort of say, well, yes, you want need to work with us rather than going with someone else? How do, you, how do you woo someone like that who's got a hot project already in The Father and sort of say, right, we're the people for this one? It's, it was tricky, I think, over Zoom to sort of build up that... Because a filmmaker has to trust, I think. Like that's the biggest thing yeah. in terms of you being able to work together and take on the material, especially this material, which had been Florian's play, it was about trust. And I think there's there's a there's a um, dynamic on Zoom where empathy is a little less able to be conveyed, I guess, in, in, in some ways. So especially on the subject matter of something like The Sun, just being able to have a filmmaker feel that they can trust you with the subject matter, with the production, everything moving forward, was more of a challenge I think than when you just sit in a room with people and you talk to them and then you get a sense of each other in that space so I don't know whether Florian sent it to everyone else but we were just really happy that we were able to convey I guess our passion for him and the material through as through an hour zoom call yeah of course there's always compromise I think no matter what time covid or not when you're making films that's sort of where some of the best decisions can get made is when you have to make those really tough calls and you realise what is most valuable what is most treasured, what do you really need to say in this story, I mean no one enjoys it but you kind of get to the, no. Do you, do you mean in that, that it was a New York set story and yeah. that you were going to shoot it all here in, in London? We did shoot the exteriors were there but the set we um, were in a studio in Enfield <laughs> And around, we were around London as well. Chelsea for Brooklyn is, <laughs> yeah. uh, is the way to go. But And, and the, the sets play a part of this in both The Father and The Son is, is that, to sort of repeat a little bit, I guess, what Joe's saying is that The Father was about being trapped in the internal space of one character and experiencing that from their perspective and that confusion. Whereas The Son is slightly different, which is all of the characters are, um, in terms of Hugh Jackman's character and Laura Dern's, are trapped outside of the sort of protagonist um zen's character and and so they are partner pieces in that way because one is a very internal space through anthony's character and one is very external in that no one's actually in the kind of space of zen's mind everyone's trying to work out how, how and what the best thing is to do and how much did did you know the cast for example when florian sort of had the script i think did he have some ideal cast involved did you then get involved with suggestions because it is quite a, it's quite a it's quite an interesting. It's not one that you think, ah, oh, you know, these will come together as a sort of you know, as a as a package. Lord Dern and, uh, and Hugh Jackman, and then you had to find a, a young sort of mm. star who was a bit unknown. So yeah, how did you, how did you work with him on that? He did have a few ideas, and then while we were thinking about that, Hugh Jackman actually emailed Florian, um, and he said, "I know you might be talking 
some other actors. But, and I, I would never want to cut in on someone else's dance, but if, if you're not, please think of me. And I think that was quite a rare thing for Hugh to have done. And so Florian, I remember, called, called us up and um, we were like, yes, you should, you know, definitely you should talk to Hugh Jackman. And I think he, you know, he sort of gone on record and said within seven minutes of them talking on that Zoom, he, he knew this was the actor, this was the person to tell this story. And... You know, I don't think he... I hadn't met Hugh. I'd met him briefly. Um, I think that call... I'm not sure exactly the time, but it was like Christmas Eve or something. And it was was sort of... There's sometimes such anxiety going into the start of the year about what TV you're going to make, what films you're going to make that year, but to sort of know that we had a Hugh Jackman. Because as a company that is UK-based and Australian-based, it feels like in some ways that we're always you know, hustling in some Australian factors or whatever, but it was actually just joyously by accident that it actually it happened to be Hugh and Zen. But obviously Hugh has been somebody that, as a company and as a as a group of producers, we've wanted to work with yeah. for a long time anyway. So that was that was so wonderful to sort of get that call does as it, a Christmas does it, present. Does it change things when, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a huge star. Is he, I don't know if he's an A-list, I don't know, what, does, it, does it change things? Oh, right, we weren't thinking of quite someone quite so grand. Does it change the budget? Does it change the, the approach? I don't think so, partly because it's based on Hugh as a person, which is somebody who, you know, is so into the craft of what he does. Um, and with this very particular story, wanted to do it justice and wanted to... And he is such a committed actor and performer, so... It, it wasn't like we were suddenly dealing with an entourage with Hugh. You're actually dealing with an incredibly centred, beautiful person yeah. who wants to do the best work. And I guess that's, that's as a producer, what you want, because everything else is, is, is sort of extra. Whereas actually what you want is somebody to feel that committed. And he was, I mean, from, from writing really, the email onwards. Right. He's really good in it as well. Yeah. You know, he does <laughs> he I mean, he's, he's great quite in good, it. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah I, 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 knew, I knew he's good. You know, it feels a while since a heavily dramatic role has come his way. Maybe, I don't yeah. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm forgetting a few. But. He's done some incredible, you know, absolutely incredible work over the years. I think he wanted to go, he wanted to sort of dig in. I think this spoke to him on an emotional level. We, you know, we talked about his relationship with his father. This is um, a lot to do with intergenerational dynamics and not only with your child, who's suffering in this case with, a pretty terrible depression but also how some of that you're dealing with it is received from your parents so it spoke to us all in personal ways and that that was very much the case for Hugh Mm. and then you know we thought about who would make the perfect super group around you can't you know once you've said Laura Dern's name there's no you're not getting past like she's a complete icon of all the different kinds of cinema and such a huge supporter of so many different kinds of filmmakers which you know she was she's been absolutely incredible and Vanessa um we've seen in lots and lots of Vanessa things Kirby, but yeah. Vanessa Kirby pieces of a woman you know just completely blew us all away so we were and Anthony actually read the script before anyone Anthony Hopkins was the first person so it's no coincidence that the character he's also called. brilliant in the film just the, the five minutes three minutes we we had a 
And it's very funny, the journey of those three minutes, because when we when we screened in Toronto, when Anthony Hopkins came onto the screen, everyone applauded and was thing. And then by the end of the three minutes, totally were rethinking their way um, into that character and seeing him completely different to that first moment. So it was quite funny to go on that very short journey of a character arc. But that shows you how an amazing actor he is, that everyone was applauding him in the first second and then going, I wouldn't want him to be my father by the end of the three minutes. I mean, we're talking in the, in the heat of awards season here. I, I've seen, I saw Anthony's name mentioned quite a lot in supporting actor, you know, categories. I think he even got some nominations from some bodies, you know, and that would, it, it must be the shortest ever to kind of get, uh, you know. What's yeah, that called? Doing G- a Judy Dench? Judy, yeah, <laughs> I know, she had like 12 minutes or something. This yeah. is... <laughs> I mean, we... We, we at that point had been preparing another movie which we're now in post-production for it so we we got to sort of experience being on set with Anthony Hopkins just for a day and then we've we've now made a whole other movie with him but that day that we shot with him um, was pretty special I mean he is you know as soon as the cameras start rolling you realise oh my god he's not um, you know He's a complete icon. He's so, turned up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's turned up. It's really interesting to hear you talk about how deep you go uh, in the conversations with Hugh and, and with Anthony, with your cast, Joe. Uh, as a producer, is that do you, do you feel that that's it's just something that way you do, you want to get into their character as much as the director needs to, in a way, to understand it? How does that help you? I think, on well, on this film, there was another dimension that we had to talk about, which was... It was a movie about mental health, and we all needed to make it in a really responsible way. Mm-hmm. So I, we we wanted to make sure that in the process of making a movie about mental health, that everyone was equipped to deal with the making of it, the talking about it. And you know, Hugh is an incredibly well prepared actor, and he you know he'd done tons of research into all sorts of different aspects of the character. But we had pretty open and frank conversations about what he needed to do to be prepared and to sort of be able to support the rest of the cast and particularly someone like Zen who isn't as vastly experienced. How, how old is Zen? He's, he was 19 when we shot the movie. So we just wanted everyone to be aware of what was available to them to be supported. Uh, so we had, you know, um, a sort of facility not only for the cast but for the whole crew to make sure that, that they they felt there was a place they could go to talk if they needed to talk about anything relating to their mental health while they were making this movie. Wow. So we is that to have, normal? Um, I think it's becoming yeah. something that some productions can do. On a movie like this, there was just no question that we would not provide something. Was it needed? I think it was needed. And bearing in mind it was COVID times and people were... Yes, oh God. I, you know... I've, Thankfully, sort of quickly forgotten. You've yeah, also been they were in the dealing with a whole layer of extra personal stuff. Yeah. So there was quite a lot going on. But actually, in a way, it was quite nice to be able to use the film's central premise, which is mental health, to actually offer something up and see what that looked like. Is that something you would now implement going forward on, on all productions? We have, yeah. It's, it's, it's really um, such an important thing pillar I think because it just allows people it's it's there's night shoots with projects and sometimes tv shows can go for a very long time and people are sort of doing night shoots for two weeks and I just think it's important to not just talk about supporting mental health but actually putting and it's Solos Minds isn't it is the 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 company that's it called sorry 
solace mind. Solace mind. So they, they're, they're particularly geared to films yeah. mental health. And, and TV. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because we're not the experts, but we want to provide um, the space and opportunity for crew and cast to be able to. And The Sun was a very good, clear example of that. Um, having a very, very direct relationship with the subject matter. But I, I think also, you know, as, as, a, as, as an organisation, we've got to be thinking about this more just because of the, how, how um, yeah, as a company, you've got to support people. Yeah. So, and what does that involve? Does it involve like a, a, a little office on set, a, an officer walking around the high vis going, talk to me? We, we, we signpost very regularly on an every call sheet um, a, a couple of places, including Solace Mind, that people could seek uh, a session with I mean I would say it's probably not going to be possible in all in all films for everyone so you know just in terms of other producers and the kind of weight of responsibility that falls on their shoulders to look after a whole cast and crew I think there are other things that you know we do and other people can do but we were lucky to be able to use this service and I think it was used and I'm sure it'll be more of a thing going forward well, in the way that we've seen intimacy coordinators come yeah. to sets and now almost you know they, they, they need to Brian needs to change more train more and more people up you know she can't, she can't do it all so you know it, these are new things that can only be improvements I think in the industry I don't know if they were there when you started Ian. no definitely <laughs> I saw Babylon I definitely feel it I um, think yes and also you know sets themselves are complicated places you know sometimes are they do people feel comfortable there do people feel safe you know in 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 anything you can do to make a more collegiate hard-working but you know sort of enjoyable environment I think is a, is a good thing because then everybody wants to come back which is you know part of how you keep good people yeah absolutely and I'm presuming some shoots are tougher than others of it you were in a place that is a warehouse in Enfield yeah, it's a really hot warehouse in Enfield. We couldn't figure out to get the bloody air conditioning on. Uh, it was the peak of summer, and it was very sweaty. We eventually did solve that one. And is that was that was that a, a, a sort of man, because of COVID as well? Was that much a, a manageable place to work that everyone could come to? Set is quite. I mean, <clears throat> as I'm sure you know, it's much easier to control a set than it is a location. We've got neighbours or businesses that you've got to you know, deal with the parking and the noise and all that kind of thing. In a studio, it's a pretty, um, well, that's literally what they're there for. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a little frustrating that we couldn't get the air conditioning. It was a brand new studio, so they actually hadn't quite finished building all of it. And that was, you know, that moment post-pandemic when all the production just landed in London. Um, and it was a lot of big... Netflix staff and yeah. the streamers and the studios were all kind of gobbling up the studio space. So people were working in really weird places. I think our studio was used to be Iceland, something like that. <laughs> and they couldn't get the air conditioning working. I know. Oh, <laughs> what yeah. would have happened to the to the canopy? <laughs> the um, it's interesting when you say that it's because the, the film I'm producing has got you know, half of it set in a grand brasserie, a Parisian brasserie. So when you think of it, oh, great, we have to Paris and come to a brasserie. And, and I believe that it would be much simpler to actually build it because then you can have it working exactly how you want and, and people you know, don't have to park outside of all those worry about trucks uh, and all of that. So uh, yeah. I think Enfield, here we come. Here you go. <laughs> a bit closer to home yeah. as well. But it's funny when, uh, if you think about the power of the dog, for example, the set for that must yeah. have been a very 
different because you have, I don't know if you have wide open spaces, you want an encampment. Yeah, we were lucky enough to have a, a full build, well, a two-story build of that house um, in, on the South Island in New Zealand. Um, so that really did feel like you were driving up to to Phil's, you know, ranch when yeah. you when you arrived there. So that that was um, that was a pretty spectacular set actually for for arriving as a producer. <laughs> uh, it just it's, obviously each project is different and requires a different you know set of a different set as well as a set of uh, parameters. What what about the finance of this one? How does Cecil? What? How did when when you when Florian said I'm gonna we're gonna do it with him? How did you sort of say well we can? You do finance from Cecil? Do you go out to investors? It's a mixed set depending on what film needs what the film needs and how we can make it. <laughs> so it depends on how many choices you have versus if you have no choice at all and there's one person who luckily enough wants to finance your film with the Sun. We were lucky enough to come off the back of all of that support Florian had had from all the independent distributors um, on The Father. So there was this build-up of momentum for him and his career about wanting to support him from one film Mm -hmm. to the next, which has been a huge and pivotal part of how independent films have been made and has been very much under threat because of the effects of COVID on cinema audiences and so on. So that's been a real a real concern for us as a company because we want those... In, it's how... Those are the distributors who had the King's Speech. Those are the distributors who had Lion. You know, it's really important to us that they thrive and do well and it's been challenging circumstances for them. So it was nice to be able to, after Power of the Dog and our wonderful experience with with Netflix to do something different and um, able to to play a part in the slate of those independent distributors across mm-hmm. the world. And that included Sony in the US. But it was it was a first, I guess, a decision, as Joe talked about, which was, can we shoot this New York for New York? And if not, how then is the UK going to work for New York? Um, and it was very clear for lots of different reasons insurance being one of them that we needed to do in the UK and take that seriously so once we made that decision we were able to to understand what the budget was going to be and what the finance we were going to need of course we were short we needed to find a way of um, making everybody believe in the project that little bit more to pay a little bit more for us to be able to 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 make the film at the quality level that we expect of ourselves and would want to deliver for Florian and um, who does that? You? you? Uh, it's it's myself and Simon Gillis, and there's a, a part of Cecil Cro- called Cross City, which is our sales side, um, because that's sort of my history before I came into producing, is that I was in in film sales, and then we worked with Embankment, who had who had um, uh, been a huge part of the father and 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 getting all that distribution and finance. So we worked as a team in that way, but we were short. So we needed a bit of a miracle, and that miracle came in the shape of the Academy Awards, because uh, Florian uh, and Christopher Hampton won awards that year, and suddenly there was the energy to get us to the finance plan that we needed to make the film. So it was a real example of how awards season, in all of its strange ways, can actually end up helping independent films get made, because there was a direct correlation between the excitement around Florian being awarded and Chris Fountain being awarded and us being able to make the film. But Chris Fountain was 
quite a decent writer before, even. <laughs> he could spell quite well. Sometimes there's, uh, you just need a little bit of magic yeah, to yeah. help you across the line. Uh, do, do you get involved in that side, Joe? I mean, obviously you're sort of intrinsically linked, because, you know, I need the do, do you, is that a, is that a, an element in your, in your game? I, it always has been um, my history before CISO was uh, another independent film production company called Number Nine Films. We had um, your boss, Elizabeth Carson, on the last it's, series. Yeah, fabulous. Elizabeth, and so I know how much it's everything's part of everything. There's, there's yeah. no um, compartmentalization. You need to understand what's going on because it's always ultimately a conversation with the director and the talent, you know, making decisions constantly about what you're doing and how you're doing it whilst the finance is going on. So you have to be managing those conversations and understanding how it's working. So, yeah, and, you know, we're quite a close-knit team and it, it's all part of the learning, isn't it? Yeah. You have to sort of be in it to figure it out. When, when is it that you, you know... <laughs> when you, you go out to finance, when are you ready to do it? Do you say, well, we've got this great script. Oh, and now we've got Hugh Jackman. Oh, and now we've won an Academy Award. Is it, is it, you know, are they repeat visits? I think there's two big m- moments. Actually, the financing moment is a little bit more obvious than the other thing, which I think is absolutely key to someone being a producer that makes work, is the spidey sense that now is its moment as a project. I think that if you can, if sometimes you blink... Um, and you don't create the circumstances swirling around the project that make everybody feel like they want to go on the journey with you, then your whole project can implode. Mm. And to rebuild it then, even two weeks later from that moment, can be a huge challenge. So I think just understanding how many elements are around to to go into overdrive, I think is is really super important. And then in terms of putting together a package, whatever, I wish there was a nicer term for that, a group of elements that are incredible, (laughs) (laughs) then I think it is about how many elements do you need in that film's story to be able to raise the amount of money you need for that filmmaker to be able to make, and their actors to have, you know, because it's all about time. So how much time do you have? And how much money are you going to have to allow the time that is the right amount of time for everyone to do their best Mm -hmm. work? And so... I think it, it sometimes can just be a filmmaker in a script. It can be sometimes one actor and, you know, it, it, it's different. It's a sort of spidey sense of, of when you feel like you've got the elements. Obviously, as many elements as possible is great, but sometimes you need to wait a moment um, to cast certain roles because you're too far away from the start date to have people think about it. What, so do, you, what do you remember from that, all, the, all the amazing films that you've done where... You didn't. You went out with not enough elements, and then something else clicked. Or... Oh, that's that's a that's a very good but very frightening question. <laughs> well, I I think it's when you start to not consider the sort of external needs of what distributors or streamers want from a project. Mm-hmm. I think is is where you can come unstuck. So you could you could get quite excited about some somebody who has just uh stolen the you know the the imagination of twitter but for international distributors they've had no relationship to that even that filmmaker or that that actor and so therefore you're taking the project 
to them and they don't have any history with that element um, of the film which is going to make them excited mm-hmm. to do of course then it's a part of your job is to say this is this is going to be somebody that you're going to be very glad that in 18 months time I'm th- that is important yeah. that but that is an element of trust and they've got to trust you on that so sometimes it might be because we've just gone out with a project with somebody who has has is having their moment in some context but is not quite a big enough name or whatever yeah. for for people to to take the leap and that's changed a lot actually with with streaming and the the sort of concept of definitely we're getting asked more what's people's Instagram following, things like that, things that just didn't come into the kind of conversation yeah. before. Are they any good? Uh, yeah, well, are, are they <laughs> are they any good being the second question, but it's the first question for us. So I think I think that, yeah, just, just when we've gone out, when an element hasn't quite had the the kind of history in yeah. film to make it justify And you price. can see the room, kind of, it's not, not, but you can see the room sort of going, like, you, you, I, sometimes you get a big sort of, you know, eyebrows raised and like a sort of yes, 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 or you get some sort of like mm. yeah, and then you just hope that someone within a within the company gets what you get, yeah. and then sometimes you can absolutely prove to them that you're, you're you attaching this particular person is 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 a smart idea rather than a reckless idea. And the thing that you're doing amazingly at Seesaw now is it, you know I know you started you're doing telly as much as uh, as film. I don't, how do you know? I mean, the sun obviously felt like a like a film, you know, whether it's a one-off, even though there are, you know, they're, they're, it's part of a, a loose trilogy, if you like. But you know, when you've got so horses, or when you've got the Essex Serpent, how, who, how do you set, go? I think this is, you know, this is long-form series. This is it, or you know, white slow horses could easily have been, you know, uh, you know, a one one drama. You know, it's got such a great cast. It could have been a Tinker Tailor. Soldiers by one-off drama. I think it's been a real learning curve for us. I think we were definitely in the beginning, and I'm talking about when we made Top of the Lake, we were definitely a film company making uh, television. Yeah. But then since then, we've brought on Helen Gregory, whose whole history has, has been in, in television from, a, um, from the very beginning of her career as a creative director. And I think that has really shifted things for us. I think there's... Um, I know to speak for everyone, but there was definitely a sense... From a film perspective, you go, oh, this film doesn't has too much story and doesn't work for film, so maybe it's a TV series. And I think that is such a dead end as as a as a concept because is it going to be great television? Is the first question, and then um, and so then when projects come in, you've got to just be as strict as possible about working out what is the best form to tell that story. Knowing, and you know, the big thing for us at Cecil is we don't ever want to develop anything where we feel there isn't already a story about how we're going to finance it or get it commissioned because it's too long a journey and too sad a journey if you don't know ultimately well, you where can't you just like it. You just can't like just it. like it, no. <laughs> and so we're very strict on that. But I think it is sometimes we read things and we go, well, that that was that is best um, in its form that it is. It's an incredible novel and that's a fantastic thing. Um, to change it in any other way would, would would not be a great idea. So it's about yeah being strict, knowing what the the how people are going to see it, and and just know it's it's right for the world of that thing that it's right for film or right for television um, or right for short form television, which whichever way it is. It's interesting hearing you say about 
supporting the ecosystem of distributors that you wanted to for, for independent movies, for example, that wanted to keep that going. Uh, is is it difficult to keep that going? Or are we in a world where the you know you, you, we're, you know, this office converges the, the two top of the late Premier that can I can remember its first two episodes. Yeah. So you know the, the, the film and TV worlds you're actually involved in in in, in sort of both. How do you yeah. do? Do you see them both continuing? Yeah, I mean, Joe can speak to this. We we, we were very keen because we've sort of moved as a company. I think from being a company which was about particularly me on my taste in terms of what we were making to now being a very producer-led company. We've got seven producers or EPs across the company and Joe uh, and Anne Phillips run Film Unlimited and we wanted to keep that very precious history of our company of film and the limited television of the Top of the Lakes or um, Essex Serpent recently and Andrew Haig's Northwater. Thank you very much. It's first cold. Some directors don't want to work in the cold, but Andrew was very fine with that. But uh, we wanted to keep that it, it very sort of secure within its own structure because we do feel that there is fluidity between the Jane Campions of this world who want to do a limited series but maybe don't want to do a returning series. At the same time, we really have loved being in the returning series business and Slow Horses and Heartstopper have been a huge part of that for us. Um, do I think the independent sort of distributors... Um, they've they've had a tough time, but I think we've got to also give them wonderful films that people are wanting to go see at the cinema. So we've got a bit of a job and a role to play. What are they saying to you, Jane? It's pretty clear. I mean, look, if you ask any of your friends, how often have you been to this? When did you last go to the cinema? You can guarantee it's it's pro- it's not that often. They're so rubbish. They're rubbish. They're rubbish, and you know, even hates it. My you know, good friends and family will tell me. I, I kind of proudly, I haven't been to the cinema in ages. And that's because there's so, there's, you know, there's a lot of great TV. It is expensive to go. I think there is a sort of price point thing. There's a whole other chapter of stuff to talk about. But um, it, it has just meant that we get to wonder at and try to figure out what will entertain, you know, people in cinemas. And I, I think that's a really fun challenge because that's, one of the, you know one of the reasons we all got into movie making was because we wanted to go somewhere else to watch a thing in a dark room with a bunch of strangers yeah. and i don't think that's ever going away i think there's it's a it's an art form and it's a really fun thing to try and figure out what what is going to entice people in and do you um, find yourself having to convince i don't know if people have you always, i think a producer always had to convince people People will get up off their seats and go and go into a cinema and see this. There's a reason to see it. It mm. seems to be that's almost the primary impulse now. How that you wrestle that and have to kind of double down and find that. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, we all. I got into it, into making films because watching movies was a kind of great escape. And I think that's you know whether you're watching it on your sofa or you're watching it in. A cinema that's what people want and nothing would bring us more pleasure than to give that to lots of people in the way that you know we had great filmmakers doing that for us I think that's the mission is just it's life is pretty tough and we we sort of spread our message whatever that might be through our through our films and our tv so working out that's part of the fun isn't it is there a seesaw ethos People said to me, oh, what are you going to produce now? You're an independent producer, what are you going to produce? And you sort of, you know, and you do want to sort of stick to a, a gun. You know, I sort of sat and thought, well, what one, you know, I, I, know, I know what I don't produce, 
but you know, what, to actually say this is what I produce. How, what do you? I think say? we've we've been thinking about a lot of that recently, and because there was a as we've grown as a company and as we have this group of EPs and producers in the company, we we're spending a lot of time saying seesaw is sort of what. what everyone makes it in in some ways but I think there's some guiding principles there that have got nothing to do with genre or nothing to do with whether that's film or tv but it's about you know we we want to make and maybe this sounds like a cliche but we want to make quality material that's entertaining that says something uh, about the world and usually comes from a a perspective that is slightly different from the norm And, Mm. and I think that that is a sort of guiding set of principles and then let's let's be shocked let's be inspired everything else is is sort of up for grabs but i think those for emil and i are some of the key things we look for and, and have done historically when did you go oh don't we need we need a big company why, why didn't you just sort of say right well we'll just produce one film a year between us when, when did you go right i need a massive building emil and i definitely when when we shut the offices down in both Australia and the UK in March of 2020, we had a group Zoom. Emil and I had a had a, an all hands Zoom to just, and it's a it was a strange moment because we sort of had to, without knowing ourselves, we had to calm everybody down in terms of, am I going to have a job? Is there going to be a business? Is there going to be an industry? Are we going to make anything ever again? And we had to lie through our teeth and say, yes, absolutely. This is all going to be totally fine. But you do then realise how many people you employ. But I think the balancing act that we have always always played as a company, and I think we're just on the right side of this every single time, is that you don't want the overhead to drive the material. You don't want to have to make something for the sake of making something. So for us, it's always just carefully, and that that's solved by having really good people with really good taste who have great relationships with talent, because then you're always every day inspired by what everyone's doing. But I think that that is from day one, we've definitely prioritised the idea that the moment we're feeling we're making decisions because the overhead has a need, then we're sort of in trouble. So that's that's our guide, and, and Emil and I check in on that with each other all the time. It's like, how are we doing? Are we liking everything that we're doing? But we had just such a, with the sun, which was a sort of miracle within the context of, you know, we really wanted to make a film during that period that we were making Heartstopper and, and So Horses. But to have all of that work come out and to be coming out at the same time through that very dark period for all of us in the industry was was fantastic. And And so we're just always constantly in that conversation with ourselves about are we feeling good about the size of the company based on what we're making? How has it been for you here at Seesaw? How long have you been here at Seesaw? Uh, I joined um, just before the pandemic struck, which is a nice bit of timing. It's it's an incredible place to work. I mean, I've been very lucky to work with incredible people always, but it's a phenomenally hard-working company, and everyone genuinely wants to make interesting projects with fantastic filmmakers, and I think to Ian's point about not being driven by the overhead or, you know, choosing projects on a sort of slightly more cynical basis. That is something that I feel we don't have to worry about. We can, you know, obviously be thinking about what distributors want and what audiences want, but we can see ourselves into the project, which is really great. 
Well, congratulations on the sun. Uh, I know you've got work on the release. Do you, I mean, you see it through all, all the way to, yeah. to you know, coming yeah. out in the cinemas. Yeah, soon. Yeah. So you see it all the way through and go to see it up there on the screen. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'll probably do that sad thing of going to watch it with a real audience. That's, you know, a sort of weird, perverse pleasure of mine. We're, we're also, you know, we're in it for the, for the, for the long haul in that we're probably still approving, you know, posters of the DVD cover of the re-release of the King's Speech in Poland or something. You know, they, yeah. we're, we're here to, to make sure all the projects are looked after for yeah. their whole lives. Absolutely. Uh, what do you, I mean, once that's done, then, what do you, are you on working on something else right now? Well, there's lots of things. We're, we're in post-production on the movie I mentioned. Um, Ian and I have been um, uh, shooting a film called One Life with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, which is in post-production now. So we're finishing that off, and then we're trying to get maybe three movies up and running in production later on this year. So from summer, it could get pretty busy. So that involves, so you've got the script you've developed, they're developed, and now you're financing them and working out where to put them and what they're going to do. Yeah. All of that. Three, just the three. Just the three. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. Listen, I, when they come out, I'd, I'd love to come back and find out more about those. But it's been that. amazing finding back for some. Uh, Joe Laurie and Ian Canning, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Jason. So what did I learn from my trip down to Seesaw's offices to meet with Joanna Laurie and Ian Canning? Obviously, they're a very fine company run by creative and caring producers in Ian and Emil Sherman over in Australia. And that out of the success of the Oscar win for The King's Speech, they've really built on something and kept it manageable so that the quality of the work can lead rather than its budget or profit, which is clearly a very delicate but ideal balance for them. It was interesting, too, to find out the steps again from uh, Joanna Laurie, how to convince a writer and director to go with you and to make those producerial decisions over where to shoot and how to shoot and how those can overall help the quality of the production itself. It was really fascinating to learn about their mental health care on set. And that company, again, should you need it, was called Solace Mind, S-O-L-A-S, Mind. And you can find them at solacemind.com. Lots to think about then from the producers of Florian Zeller's The Sun. Thanks for listening to Meet the Producer from the Production Guild of Great Britain and sponsored by PSN Production Service Network. To find out more about them and the key resources they can provide for producers, go to productionguild.com and productionservicenetwork.com. And for more about me, it's jasonsolomons.com. And we'll all see you on the next episode.